What you just saw was a statue in Portugal uh, that stands as, I think for us, a great reminder that Jesus is above all over everything. And that's going to be really the theme for us in Colossians uh, as we start this new series today. Uh, But I'm going to get into that in in just a little bit later. I've got a few housekeeping things that I just want to mention. First of all, we've got the youngest, uh, like, worshiper ever, I think, here today. We've got a three-year-old born on Thursday. Uh, Sorry. This is not a good sign of how well the sermon is going to go. My brain is not working well. Three-day-old. Is that right? Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Today's the fourth day. So, and it's Rose, is it Rose? Ruby. Ruby, Jane, wow, beautiful little girl, a sister to Kennedy. Congratulations, yeah. Awesome. So cool, so cool. Um, I want to let you know of a change that's coming up. We're going to start it on the first Sunday of May. Um, what we had done during COVID was we had to make some changes with how our, ch- our children's programming work. We couldn't have everyone all together. We had to do some separation. So the kids were going down at the very start of the service. We've decided that we're now going to start going back to that format where the kids remain in the worship service, this service, uh, until the sermon time, and then they will be spared from that and go down uh, to the kids' program. There's a couple reasons for that. We think it's really valuable for kids to see parents and other adults in worship. We also think it's really valuable for adults to see kids in worship. And I know that sometimes you don't always realize how many there are here. And you might have even heard a bit of a a scream and a sound downstairs just moments ago, but they are alive and busy down there and active. And we want to see ourselves all together, part of it together. So that'll come up. We're going to just give a couple weeks. I know that some of the kids are here right now, and that's wonderful. Uh, we've always sort of allowed parents to be flexible with that. But just that will become our format within the services. And I wanted to let you know that that's coming. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was gone from my brain, but we'll think of it later. So... Um, Oh, I just wanted to say, that was what it was. I just wanted to say it was cool to see that it, the, the worship team was entirely female today. That was cool to see how well that was done. Yeah. And uh, just great job, to, great job to all of you ladies. And Sarah, great job leading today. Thank you for that. Um, I, I was making a joke to Dick at the back that he would probably try to say something like, the whole service is being led by women today. But uh, here we are, so. Uh, he didn't say that. That was my joke about myself. It's going to show how great this sermon is going to go, I guess. <laughs> okay, uh, let's begin. So Colossians, what, what are we doing in Colossians? Well, we have just come through a series that we called Lost the Plot, where we were focused on how the believers in God had actually been focused on other things rather than God. And we're going to take a similar approach with Colossians here, and it's going to flow out of the same kind of narrative story that we had last week on Easter Sunday with uh, Paul. You'll remember that as Stephen gave his great speech and then became stoned, and that ended his life as the first person killed for his faith in Jesus, that as that happened, a young man named Saul was there approving of that killing. And Saul then went on to persecute Christians. He was... Uh, going everywhere that he could to kill Christians or imprison them. But then he had a dramatic encounter with the risen, resurrected Jesus, and his life was changed. He started going by a new name, 
Paul and sharing the good news about Jesus everywhere that he went. Today we're going to be following up from a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae. And this is going to be one of those moments where we see a person's life and the continuity that comes from the growth in Jesus that we've had. So, uh, let's get into it. I want to begin just with the first uh, pi- uh, picture of uh, something from my garden. Now, I've talked before, I am not good with plants. If you ever come to my house for a small group or maybe a potluck or something like that, the only plants that are there are the ones that have survived, okay? And the only plants that are there are the ones that thrive on not being taken care of, okay? I have the opposite of a green thumb, whatever that would be. And yesterday, I had a chance to be outdoors on my property and was doing some cleanup, basically picking up sticks. That's the extent of my, gar- extent of my gardening ability, right? Raking up weeds, picking up sticks. That's about what I'm capable of. But I wanted to show you this picture of two bushes, something I tried a few years back. Now, here on the left, you see a bush that I believe is called a wigelia. And this, you can see, it's flowering and it's flourishing, it's full, it's alive. Well, I had several of those bushes along the back of my house, and one of them was kind of in the way for other things, and because it had grown so much, and, and just the way now my backyard was being used. So I, I decided I either have to take one of them out, or I have to try to move it. So I decided to try to move it. And when I moved it and replanted it in a new location, when I transferred it to its new spot, this was the result. This dead, brambly, dried up stick of a bush that you can hardly call a bush. You see, the one, uh, when it had been in its, its spot, it was deeply rooted, it was growing, it was healthy, it had what it needed to thrive. And when it was removed from that, it started to die. Now, the the analogy that I'm going to provide, I'll explain later as we go. The uh, analogy will break down because inevitably this will probably come back to life at some point. But you can see that once it was removed from the place where it was healthy, where it was removed from what it needed, it began to die. And I'll explain that as it's connected to Colossians and our scriptures today in a little bit. But I want you to have these two pictures. Remember the picture of these two bushes. One, alive with color, and one dead and dying. Well, as we start into Colossians, let's get some of the basic facts out of the way. Who, what, when, where, why, that kind of stuff. Let's go to the next slide. And uh, what we see is, as it begins, verse 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. We heard some of that story last week and about the transformation in his life. It's also from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae. Now I want to take you to the very end of the letter. And it says this. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. What's going on there? Well, um, Paul is writing this letter and he is in prison. There's this kind of irony that when he was went by the name Saul he was going around persecuting Christians and throwing them in prison. Now, Saul has become Paul. He is uh, going around, he is a Christian, and he's going around sharing the good news of Jesus, so much so that he has been imprisoned for that himself. So the one who threw Christians into prison is now a Christian and in prison himself for his faith in Jesus. 
and he's in chains. And we see that this letter is being sent by him and by Timothy. Uh, what this might be is it might be that uh, Paul is sort of dictating to Timothy, and Timothy's writing it all down. It could be that Paul says to Timothy, here's basically what I want to say to the people in Colossae. Could you just draft this up for us? It could be that the two of them are sitting there going back and forth. But in any case, they're working on this together. Timothy himself is a well-known protege of Paul. Uh, we've got a couple of letters in the New Testament from Paul written to Timothy. And Timothy was mostly rooted in Ephesus. We don't know where Saul or where Paul is in prison right now, but he and Timothy together have worked to produce this letter to the people in Colossae. Paul is in, cha in chains in prison. And here at the end, it's, it, it seems like Timothy has written the whole letter, perhaps. And at the very end, Paul writes in his big letters, in his own handwriting, Paul. He signs his name. So that's what we see going on here. Now, I want, I want to just give you a bit of a sense of who they're writing to, though. We see that in uh, verse 2 and on. It says this letter, uh, let's go to the next slide. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So what we're seeing there, what we realize is they've never actually met. So Paul and Timothy are trying to make a connection with them and share some things that they think are important for the people in that church. But they've never actually met before. This isn't a church that Paul planted in all of his missionary journeys. But he's heard about them, and they want to make a connection. In fact, what he starts with is this great line, your faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. What he's saying is, we're family. Whether we know each other or not, whether we've ever met, whether we've ever had a worship service together, whether we've ever eaten around a table together in a family meal, we are family because of Jesus. And what Jesus has done has brought us together in a new kind of connection and community than you might realize, simply because we've never met. But we're family. We're family. And so Paul and Timothy are writing to them with uh, news of what they've heard from a, a, shared, a mutual connection that they have probably the person, Epaphroditus, who, who had probably planted the church, has uh, a shared connection, and he's told Paul and Timothy about them. But I want to give you just now, let's look at a map. Um, this is sort of a modern uh, depiction. You, you recognize over here on the left, there's Italy with the boot shape, and we've got Greece, and then over here, in what is modern Turkey, is Colossae. Now, when I say Turkey, probably what comes to your mind is the recent earthquakes, and Colossae itself was destroyed by an earthquake in approximately A.D. 61 or A.D. 64, somewhere around there, and it was never really fully rebuilt. Here's a picture of the general area. You can see the mountainous range and so on. Uh, this is about 100 miles inland from the coast. Ephesus, at where Timothy was probably based, a major city, was about 100 miles away at the coast. So this is just a general sense of where they are in the modern sort of Turkey. Uh, area, but this is Colossae, um, a smaller place, but a, a city that's passionately committed to religion, not necessarily Christianity, but com passionately committed to their faith. So let's get into it now. Why are they writing? Well, it'll be in chapter two, and we're going to get to it later, but I want to give you this sense now of why Paul and Timothy are writing. They've heard something from Epaphroditus that has given them a sense of concern about what's happening in Colossae and the influences that they have. So they'll write this. 
Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't get caught up in ideologies and teaching that sound really good, that are really cool, that are popular, that are the latest praise, that they're hitting the airwaves, that are on the podcasts, that are doing all the rounds, that are selling all the books on the New York Times bestsellers. Don't get caught up in all of that rather than Christ. And he says, be careful of what influences you have, both outside the church and within. Make sure that the beliefs that you have, the, the things that you think about, the way that your life and faith is shaped, is deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. And a few verses before this, uh, he in fact uses the language of, let your roots go down into Christ. Be deeply rooted in Jesus Christ. So I want you to picture those two bushes that I have in my backyard. The one that is flourishing and alive with color, and the one that is dead and dying. What Paul and Timothy are saying to the people of Colossae, and to us by extension today, is, what are you rooted in? Which bush are you? Are you letting your roots go down into empty nonsense? Something that can't sustain you? Or are you remaining rooted in Jesus Christ, who is the source of life? Uh, I want to take you to a quote from uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. Uh, the first part, you might get lost in a bit. Just, just follow with it, and then it's, it's really the second half where it, it comes out. The purpose of Paul's letter to the Colossians is to refute the so-called Colossian heresy, a Gnostic type of philosophy that taught this, that though Christ provided a good spiritual beginning, there was a deeper fullness available to those followers who would avail themselves of an ancient gnosis or knowledge. What's that about? There was this Gnostic ideology present in their culture that day. Now, Gnosticism is not one particular thing. There's lots of varieties of Gnosticism, what they believe, what they think. But generally, what Gnosticism teaches is that the physical world is garbage, and we want to be released from the physical world and be focused only on spiritual things. We want to distance ourselves from our everyday lives and the everyday things of this world and become more spiritual somehow. And the way that we do that is through secret knowledge. And it's like this is secret knowledge that you get by like, you know, you get welcomed into the club and you find out this secret that no one else knows and it means that your life will now be elevated to a more spiritual plane. So there's this sense that you begin with something in Jesus but instead, you move on to other things. You graduate into deeper secrets and deeper knowledge. What Paul is trying to write and say and do, with, along with Timothy, is to say, hold on. There's no graduating from Jesus. There's mo no moving on to something deeper or better. There is no other source of life. There's no other greater secret than Jesus. So be cautious about what you sink your roots into. Don't allow yourself to be sucking in things and taking influence from things that really aren't going to give you life. 
And this comes about in our world today in many different senses. Sometimes what I've seen and what I've even experienced in my own life was uh, when someone comes to faith in Jesus, there's a kind of enthusiasm and excitement. There's this newness of life that they're experiencing. That's a wonderful gift. But we can reach a point in our journey and in our faith and our life where we start to say, oh, I'm feeling a little dry, a little stale. There must be something more than this. And at that point, if what we do is move on to other things and try to add them into our faith, rather than going back and investing deeper into the life of Jesus and into our relationship with him, that we begin to go astray. We begin to walk outside of the place of health and life. So I experienced this where uh, as a teenager, I'd been in the church a long time, and then as I got to become a young adult, I began to feel like I want more exciting worship experiences. I'd encountered Jesus during times of worship, and I wanted even more of that. I wanted this elevated sense of heightened enthusiasm and praise. I wanted to go where the action was. I wanted to go where the music was bumping and people had their hands raised in worship, expressed very outwardly. I wanted to see the mystical and the magical. I wanted to see people speaking in tongues. I wanted to see people being healed. When I was in high school and then a little bit later on, there was things like the airport vineyard movement, you remember. If any of you are familiar with that, this, this seemed to be this miraculous outpouring of something. And in more recent days, we've seen something like Asbury College, where there was um, this sort of revival, it seemed. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that revivals or that outpourings of God's Spirit are bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with raising your hands or saying amen when the preacher says something really good. You guys are good. You guys are better than the first service. Maybe you had your coffee. I'm not saying those things are the problem. What I'm saying the problem is when we go looking to those things to amp up our faith rather than going deeper into Jesus. And when we can get caught up in that excitement, we can caught up looking for the next buzz, our next fix, our next worship high that we start going off into other things and getting distracted from what's important. You remember when we talk about lost the plot, the whole sense was that uh, the people of God were deeply connected to the religious things that were good things, but they weren't connected to God. Likewise, when we think, well, I need to add something else to God. I need to add something else to Jesus. I need to have a little bit more. That's when we go astray. To believe that Jesus isn't sufficient, that Jesus isn't enough. And what Paul is writing to the people in Colossae, along with Timothy, is a reminder that Jesus is above it all. Jesus isn't just the beginning of a faith. He's the beginning and end. It all rests and is rooted in Jesus Christ. He is always sufficient, all that we need, all the time. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't ever learn anything outside the church. My goodness, that would be foolish if we never learned anything else. There can be lots of great things that we learn about our health or about our mental wellness 
There's lots of things we can learn about how to live and organize our time and plan ourselves and manage things well. But if we make those things more important than Jesus, that's where it becomes a problem. And so we can sometimes find ourselves saying to our friends or somebody else, you have to try this, it changed my life. I understand what that means, but we need to be cautious about where our influences are coming from. If we say, this is the thing that's changed it all for me, this is what it really came for, we need to be careful that that thing is not in contradiction to Jesus. That if it's something good, if it's something life-giving, that has come from him, whether we realize it or not. But it doesn't replace Jesus. It's not more than we need. It's part of Jesus in all things that we need. And so what we need to do here is not fall into Gnosticism ourselves, where we say Jesus is just a beginning, but we need to go beyond that. We need to go and have more and more of other things. And that's what they're addressing here. Let's, let's get into it now. Let's, let's go on to the next slide. So again, they have not met the people in Colossae. Um, and so they say, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope in what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. See, what he's saying is, here's your beginning. Gnosticism says, you know, Jesus is a beginning, but then you move on. And so he reminds them of their beginning. He says, you began by hearing the good news and hearing that truth. But here's what it's resulted in. Hearing the truth that Jesus, the true king, has conquered and defeated death and is leading his followers to eternal life. Hearing that truth has changed the way that you live. It's given you confidence and a hope for the future. Hearing that Jesus has defeated death in his resurrection, hearing that has made you not afraid to live with boldness to live for Jesus. That's changed the way that you live. It's given you a confidence and a hope. And that hope has resulted in two things. It's resulted in their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all of God's people. It didn't just start with and end in Jesus. It has resulted in a new life, a life of faith in Jesus that's ongoing. And it's resulted in a new way of relating with each other. It's beautiful and community and together they're experiencing the flourishing of God. So it has started with Jesus and it has continued with Jesus. Faith and love. Here we see faith, hope, and love, which Paul will mention in other places as being a cornerstone of what's going on in our experience of life and faith in Jesus. We've heard of your faith in Jesus, your love for all of God's people, and all that's come from your confident hope in what God has done. And this, you've had this expectation, that confident hope, ever since you heard about the good news. So this good news of Jesus has begun to change their lives. And what he's going to say to them is, that was your beginning, but you don't move on from that thing that you found. You don't move on from Jesus. He is that source of life and confident hope for the future. Let's go on to the next slide. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. 
just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So what he's saying is, you shouldn't be pursuing a secret knowledge. In fact, the knowledge that you have found is something that's meant to be shared, not just with you, but around the world. And it's powerful. Wherever the good news goes, whatever it touches, it's changing lives. Every life where it's allowed to take root, every life where the good news of Jesus is allowed to take hold, begins to produce flourishing and fruitfulness. It's beautiful. And he says, you've experienced that. And it's not just you. It's everywhere. It's not like there was just one little success story here in Jerusalem where everyone saw Jesus, thought he was a great guy, and stuff was pretty cool, and but no one else really caught on to it. What he's saying is, this good news about Jesus is for everyone, so much so that as it spreads, everyone who encounters it and allows it to take root in their life finds themselves bearing fruit and seeing their life change, the world changed around them. He's saying this is a beautiful thing. It's a thing that you are now part of. You're part of that flourishing, uh, growing life because the good news is for everyone. So he reminds them of the fruitfulness of what they've experienced already and that that life has come from Jesus and the good news about Jesus. So what he's saying is you are connected to this powerful, unstoppable force that nothing can hold the gospel back. Whatever it touches, it brings life. And you are connected to that. Don't move on to something else. Don't move on believing that there's something else that's bigger and better. This is the biggest thing. Jesus is all, above all, for all. You don't move on from Jesus. Let's go to the next verses here. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. That's a, that's a great way to start and build a connection with somebody, to say, we haven't met each other yet, but I'm already praying for you. If I had somebody that I hadn't met come up and said, from the first day that I heard your name, Gordon, I've been praying for you. I'd be touched. I'd build an instant connection. Like, wow, I, I'm touched that you would care about me in that way, even before we'd ever spent any time together. And so Paul and Timothy are building that connection with these people because they want to speak to them about some dangers they see for them. So we've been, we've been praying for you. We haven't stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So what he's saying is, we've been praying for you that you would have complete knowledge. Now the people in Colossae, they want knowledge. The people in their culture want this secret knowledge. And he says, we're praying that you would have complete knowledge. We want you to know everything. We're not holding it back. It's not a secret. We want you to have it all. We want you to know everything about Jesus. We want you to know Jesus deeply and intimately. And that that knowledge would result in spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what that's about is similar to what happens in Proverbs. We hear these words in Proverbs. That the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, knowing God is how you begin to understand the world around you and live skillfully in it. So that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is skill for living. So what he's praying for them is that they would know God, and in knowing the creator of the world, they would understand how to live well in the world out of that. We want you to have knowledge of Jesus. We want you to know God the Father so that you would have skill for the way you live and that the way you live would be so uh, productive and producing of fruit that it will be evident in the way that you live. So we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. When he's saying spiritual wisdom, he's not just saying that you're really smart and you're able to kind of live well. He's saying that you would have the kind of wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit alone. That God would empower you to understand and to live well. To produce something beautiful in your own life and through your life that nourishes others. We're praying that God would show you himself so that you would have knowledge and that that would produce a strength and a beauty in the way that you live skillfully in the world. So he says, we're praying, uh, asking you to give you God to give you complete knowledge of his will, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. What he's describing is not just a beginning and an end. He's not just saying, well, the end of it was to get to know Jesus. No. When you get to Jesus, that's not just the beginning. It goes on from there, and you grow, and you grow, and you grow. You're not done once you've learned about Jesus. You go deeper and deeper into Jesus, that you would begin to be alive and flourishing all the more, and that you would bear fruit for your own sake and for those around you. You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And so he's praying for them to have a deep knowledge that results in a life change, living well in the world. Let's continue on to the next slide. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So he keeps praying for them. And he's saying, not only am I praying that you would know Jesus deeply, but I'm praying that he would, uh, he would equip you and provide and empower you all the things you need to grow even bigger and stronger and become more alive. So he says, I pray that you'll be strengthened with his power so you have endurance and patience, all that you need. You'll be filled with joy. And it doesn't stop there. We're praying that you would have that knowledge, but that it would lead to a new life and that he would keep filling you and empowering you and equipping you and enabling you. And that that would result in you being strong, healthy, alive, 
and then returning that in gratitude and thanksgiving to God the Father. What he's saying is it's not just a secret that you learn and then you move on. This is something beautiful that is life-giving that you hold on to and you go deeper into for the rest of your life. And when you have those moments where you might feel dry and empty and there's got to be more, well, there is more, but you've got to go deeper rather than off somewhere else. Don't go looking to build a new well. Dig deeper and drink deeply from the living water. He's enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. And in this, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, what he's describing is how at one point in their lives they had been rooted in things that were empty and nonsense and that couldn't give them life, things that were dead. Once they had been rooted in something that could never keep them alive. They were like that stickly, broken little bush that I have. But they've been transferred into a place of life and health. And they've become rooted in Jesus. And they're like that other plant now. It is flourishing, alive, colorful. What he says is, now that you're here in that life, don't leave it. Don't move on. Don't go back to where you were. Don't go looking for other sources of nourishment. Jesus is enough to sustain you. Jesus is enough to provide for you all that you need that you would be flourishing, whole, alive, complete, bearing fruit. Jesus is more than enough for you. So don't don't get transferred somewhere else. He's already brought you into life from death. So stay in the life, not the death. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's what I want for my life. I want it to be flourishing alive. I want to be whole. I want to feel like I have something to contribute to the world. I'm sure that you do as well. And Jesus is that source of life. Paul is praying that you would not only know Jesus, but you would go deeper and deeper, and that the more that you allow the good news of Jesus to ripple out through every corner of your life, that you would see that deepness provide flourishing in every area. This isn't just a, hey, come and have a great experience in worship on a Sunday morning where the band is leading great songs that you like. That's good, or it can be good. But if it's not resulting in the way we live looking any different, then it's just a dried-up bush. Dead. And if we have these mystical experiences where even angels speak to us, or God is showing us signs in the world, but we don't go deeper into a life of relationship with Jesus, it's just nonsense, and it's empty. It's eating junk food. It's death. And what Paul is counseling the people of Colossae and us today is make sure you don't get transferred out of that, that life that you found in Jesus. Stay deeply rooted in him because that is life itself. So I'll just put this up as the, the big point to close this and then we'll bring it to an end here. 
Our next slide. The good news of Jesus will bear fruit in our lives. So I ask you this. Which bush are you? Which bush does your life look like? Is your life looking like it's alive? Is your life rooted in a knowledge of Jesus? Is your knowledge of Jesus resulting in a new way of living that is skillful, flourishing, and producing and bearing fruit for yourself and for others? Or is your life empty and hollow and full of a lot of nonsense that doesn't seem to have a purpose, that's drifting and could easily be knocked down by the wind? It's not easy to remain rooted in Christ. There's so many pressures, there's so many challenges that want to uproot us and take us away. But we need to be intentional about pursuing Christ and allowing his life to be worked into every part of who we are and what we do. I've often referred to a parable that Jesus shares about yeast and dough. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a woman who worked yeast through all of the dough. And as it worked its way through, it grew and grew and grew. Is your life growing? Is it alive? Which bush does your life look like? I pray that it would be alive with color, bearing fruit, according to the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you lead your followers out of death into life. And we pray that we would come to know you all the more, that we wouldn't simply see you as a Savior who rescues us and then we move on, but that we would see you as a source of life that we root ourselves in and we draw upon and we nourish ourselves with for all the fullness of life that you promise. We want to worship you above it all, not be wrapped up in exciting worship times, not be wrapped up in our emotions or our feelings or the exciting new teachings or the things of this world that might sound really cool and exciting, that might be the top of the New York Times bestsellers list or that might be just really popular in the top ten. We want to just look to you as the top above it all. Jesus, draw us into yourself more and more. Show us your life and your love as we root ourselves in you. And may your fruitfulness be evident in our lives because we've allowed you to work your good news into every part of us, every part of the way that we live, every choice that we make, every day of the week, every hour, every moment. You above it all, Jesus above it all. We worship you, Jesus. May you take first place in our hearts and our lives. Amen.